Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week we are in a series called, What's the Point? Why bother with church? Simply put, Jesus is excited about building his church and God's people continue to be the light of the world. What we do and how we are different from the world makes the church essential to a society that is slipping further away from God. Listen to this talk and see how we are called to make a difference in this world. Thank you, Arch and KD and Melissa and the band for leading us already today. Great to see you. Hope you're feeling good today. A little bit of a later night if you stay up to watch the wind, Buckwheat Festival, homecoming, kind of an exciting weekend, but glad to be together. If we haven't connected before, my name's Josh, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. And today we're wrapping up a series we've been in, really looking at the purpose of the church. We've called it, What's the Point? And we've been trying to ask that question, what's the point? I'd like to begin with a question and uh, you can show my hands. Think about a restaurant, business, any kind of establishment from your past or present that has closed down, they're out of business, and you still miss it. Can you think of something? Restaurant, business, coffee shop, yeah, you're like, oh man. I know for me, I think about my hometown, we had two Dairy Queens, which was great. I was never more than five minutes away from a blizzard. It was always nearby. And I don't, I don't know what happened to those Dairy Queens, but they both closed down and it was devastating. Had to drive like 30 minutes to get one of those ice cream cakes with the crunchies, you know? I think about the sports card store that came to town. We were so excited. Yeah, I was born in early 80s, so, you know, Michael Jordan cards, of course, the Penguins and Pirates. So we would ride our bikes to the sports card store and, and get cards and trade and sell. And then they went out of business. It was, it was devastating. We loved that store, which it's kind of fun that sports cards are kind of coming back around. I know even some of you uh, collect them. But here, here I am talking about ice cream and trading cards, and you might be thinking about maybe a business uh, that relocated or went out of business, and maybe you lost your job because of it, or maybe a school or a daycare that maybe some of your children were in, and then they closed down, and your other children weren't able to be a part of it. I don't know what you're thinking about right now, but whatever that establishment is that's no longer it probably stirs some emotion in you to think about. Am I right? I mean, I think the reason for that is because any person or place that adds value to our life, I think when they're gone, you miss it. I mean, that's what makes them special, that if they were to be gone, that you would miss it. And I think communities miss great restaurants and coffee shops and stores, certainly pillars like schools or hospitals or, or major employers. When those places leave, the community feels it. I mean, it leaves a hole. So let me ask you another question. If a community loses a church, do you think they feel it? If a, if a community loses a church, what is it about that church that would be missed? A study done by Lifeway Research actually said that in 2014, 4,000 churches opened in 3,700 closed. So we were still in the, the positive. But fast forward to 2019, 
It said 3,000 churches opened and 4,500 closed. Now, I don't intend to bring you down with these statistics, but if you were to drive in most downtowns in America, you would probably see an historic church, a brick building, maybe with a steeple, and that, that church played a role in that community, certainly morally and spiritually to serve as that true north for the community, but also socially. It was the hub of the social network. It was the social network before social media, and that's where you connected but they were also instrumental physically meeting needs of the poor and all of it. And now churches are closing. Churches are, are increasingly seen as irrelevant. And I think it's just worth asking the question, why? Why is that happening? About 10 years ago, I heard a, a, a Christian leader pose this question. He said, would your community miss you if your church no longer existed. And he was quoting someone else, or I'd give him credit, so he was quoting someone. So, but he said, would your community miss you if your church was gone? And I think that's a really thought-provoking question. If Chestnut Ridge Church were to so somehow no longer exist, would our community feel that effect? Now, personally, I know I would miss the ridge. I suspect you would as well. The worship services and ministries and the friendships, the, the prayer and the care and all of the things that we're so grateful for. But what about people who are outside of our doors? What about people who are not associated with us? If we no longer existed, would they care? Would they feel it? Would they even know? In all humility, as I've thought about this question, and maybe even as you're wrestling with it right now, I think the answer to that question is yes. And I think that's a, a gift, and I don't say that lightly. I think our community would miss us because it's always been our heart to care for those outside our doors. And we've talked about over the, the last few weeks these things that are just near and dear to our heart as a church. I mean, over the last some 40 years, We've been trying to keep these things in front of us. We, we want to remember that it's all about Christ and having a relationship with him. It's not about rules. And it's about the Great Commission. If we really believe that Jesus is the way and truth in life, that we're going to share that good news with as many people as possible. And today we, we want to talk about this third C, the community, that we want to love and serve and make a difference in people's lives, both, both now with what they're facing, but for all eternity. So that brings me to my takeaway today. It's really simple. It's simply this. We can make a difference in our community. I think we can make a difference in our community. And perhaps you're already convinced of that. You're like, Josh, I, I know we can. I sense that we are. Well, that's great. And I hope today adds fuel to your fire and, and maybe spurs you on in greater ways. But maybe... Maybe you've been looking around into different pockets of, of town or where you are, seeing different situations or seeing different problems that seem to be growing. And maybe it's depressing. Maybe it's discouraging. And maybe you're scratching your head and saying, Who, who's going to do something about this? This is going to get out of hand. We've got to step in. We've got to help. Well, I hope today, I hope today that it renews your vision. That with God's help, His power, His strength, 
in the collective efforts of us as the body of Christ, I don't think there's any problem that we can't help with. I'm convinced of that. So today, for the rest of our time, I wanna look to the example of Jesus and talk about three ways that I believe we can continue to make a difference in our community. And I believe we have been, but it is our prayer. It is our, our heartfelt prayer that we will continue to be a greater blessing in the days ahead to those outside our doors. So the first way I think we can do this is by embodying grace and truth. Now, points two and three are gonna get a little more practical, a little more hands-on, but I think it's important to start with helping our community spiritually. We know that's the greatest need. And in John chapter 1, 14, Jesus was described as being full of grace and truth. Not half of this and half of this. He was full of grace, this undeserved, unmerited kindness and love. But he was also full of truth. What's right? What's correct? That truth really does exist, not according to people, but according to God. He was full of both of those. And it is our desire as a church, both collectively and individually, that we would grow in both. Because if someone from our community is, is seeking and searching for answers, we want them to be able to turn to us and say, I want to know the truth, but they're going to need to be able to hear it in a spirit of love and grace. Now, now as I've thought about this and as I've reflected on my own life, I think it's really easy to kind of struggle in either way. And this isn't meant to be derogatory in any way, but I think about the churches that maybe are really, really good at truth. I mean, they've got the truth down. They know the truth. But maybe they're a little low on grace. You know, I, I can't help but picture picket signs. And I can't help but picture bullhorns. And I can't help but maybe just kind of yelling at people. And the reality is someone from the community who doesn't know Christ I think they'd have a hard time stepping into a church like that or associating with a church like that because they're gonna fear that the world's just gonna cave in on them. They're just gonna get beat down. But I think churches can swing the other way as well to be really gracious and really loving and really welcoming of everyone and that's awesome. But maybe they're a little bit low on truth. Maybe they're not willing to share the, the truth of God's word, particularly in areas that aren't matching up culturally. And that might seem kind and loving, but I think withholding God's truth actually isn't. So our desire as a church is just to embody both and grow. And I know I have so much room to grow in grace and in truth, but we look to the example of Jesus. And one of my favorite places to see this is in John chapter eight. It's a familiar passage. It's the woman caught in adultery, but just think about how Jesus demonstrates grace and truth in this critical moment in this woman's life. John chapter eight, verse two, it says, at dawn, he went to the temple complex again and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? 
They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. This passage is incredible. It's one of the clearest examples of grace and truth. I mean, this woman is caught in the act of adultery and she's dragged out in humiliation and in shame and made to stand before people. And the religious, elite, religious leaders are armed and ready to stone and kill her according to the law. And had the man been there as well, he should have also Maybe he escaped, we don't know, but they're surrounding with the truth that she was wrong. But they had no intention to give her grace. So Jesus does something that I'm sure was really surprising when he said, go ahead and throw the first stone if you're without sin. If you're here in this circle and you've never messed up, you've never done something you wish you could take back, you've never done what you dragged her out for doing, if that's you, Take the first shot. And one by one, it says they dropped their stones. I'm sure it pierced their heart to realize, okay, I, I, I'm not sinless. I have no right. And in that moment, Jesus showed her grace and he said, neither do I condemn you. And I would imagine she went from feeling shameful and scared and condemned to feeling seen to feeling safe, to feeling loved. And by the way, Jesus was just in not condemning her because the witnesses who saw this were gone. So there could no longer even be a trial. But Jesus didn't just show her grace. He also loved her enough to share the truth. You notice what he said to her, now go. And from now on, don't sin anymore. It wasn't saying go be perfect because we know that's not possible. But what he was saying was this kind of life Sleeping around or other types of sins is not going to lead to joy. It's not going to lead to peace. It's going to lead to misery. And it's going to lead to destruction. So please go and sin no more. Is it any wonder why Jesus was so loved by people? I mean, he was loved by people who were broken and who knew it. He was called the friend of sinners. That was his reputation. Wouldn't that be something if that was our reputation? That if you know you need help, if you know you're not perfect, that you can associate with a church and Christians who aren't gonna beat you up and kill you, but they're gonna meet you where you are and lift you up and guide you towards the truth. I was talking to a guy a few years ago and he said, Josh, I don't think God could love me for what I've done and I think every Christian would judge me. He said, but if I ever change my mind, I'll give you guys a shot. And I so appreciated that. I took that as a huge compliment that if you ever decided to give God another shot, it would be 
with us. That's our desire. That's our prayer. And I think if we're going to keep this reputation, not that we do it perfectly, but continue to be known as a church of grace and truth, it's going to require all of us. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 4. It says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. The more gracious and loving and kind that we are in our words and our action are, will only increase the opportunity we have to share the truth. So I think that's the first way we can do it is just by continuing to embody grace and truth. I think another way that we can do it that's just core to the scriptures is by caring for those in need. By caring for those in need, people who need help in various ways. And when you read the Bible from beginning to end, you see that our God has a heart for those who need help. Whether they're poor, whether they're sick, whether they're alone, whether they're being abused in some form, his heart goes out to them. I love Psalm 146, describing our God in this way. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and on earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food for the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the way of the wicked. It's saying that our God, who's the omnipotent creator over all, is also near and close and concerned for people who are hurting, for the widow and the orphan, for the sick and for the poor, for those who are being exploited in some way, his heart goes out to them. And this is one of the reasons why we should love our God is because he really does care. And when you get to the New Testament, you see the heart of God put on display in flesh and blood in the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter four, he was reading from the, the book of Isaiah in a scroll. And he read these words. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as you read through the gospels, this is what Jesus did. He met spiritual needs, but he also met physical needs. He was close to those who were poor and hungry and sick and blind and outcast and vulnerable. This was his heart and his actions proved it. Now, after Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, his example continued. And we see it so clearly in the book of James 1.27, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. They took it seriously that if they're going to actually enact the heart of God, that this pure religion is to care for those who are vulnerable and to keep yourself from being corrupted by the world's ways. And we know that they took this seriously because of accounts of the early Christians. Brandon O'Brien, in an article entitled The Social, Economic, and Political Commitments of the Early Church, wrote this. A Roman child 
was not part of the family until he or she was accepted by the father. If he didn't want the child, it was discarded, put outside to be killed by starvation, weather, or wild animals. Christians regularly adopted these children and raised them as their own. This is who we are. I mean, in that time, they would just be left to die. And Christians have always recognized that every single person who's ever existed and whoever will exist is made in the image of God, is valuable, is worthy of love, is worthy of care. And if they need help, we will do whatever it takes. Even though we have our own needs and our own families to care for, Christians step up. We also see this in 1 John chapter 3. Verses 17 and 18, it says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eye to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, you must not love with word or speech, but in truth and action. And I love how John urges us as Christians not to turn a blind eye. When there is someone that has a need and we have something that we could use to meet that need, he says, don't turn a blind eye. Don't shy away from it, lean into it. Put your faith in action. Put the love of God on display. And again, Christians live this out. That same article from Brandon O'Brien, he included a quote from Roman Emperor Julian who reigned from 331 to 363. And he was actually upset by the early Christians because their actions were drawing people away from paganism and to Christianity. This is what the Roman Emperor Julian wrote. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase unbelief of the pagan gods? For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the impious Christians not only support their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that the people lack aid from us. I'm sure the people who were being helped loved the Christians, but it's clear the emperor did not. He was effectively saying, these Christians make us look bad. I mean, we want people to be relying on our gods. We want people to be relying on our empire and they don't even need us because they're stepping up to the plate. I mean, what a reputation that would be. The Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Chestnut Ridge Church not only supports those in their church who need help, who need financial assistance, who, who need help in some way, but they support ours as well. What a remarkable reputation that would be. So that's why at the church, all throughout the year, we we had come together and, and have food drives and backpack drives and coat drives. That's why we have a foster care ministry and a benevolence fund for emergency financial assistance and, and why we portion a part of our budget to support nonprofits. That's, that's why we do these things. And it's all fueled by your generosity. It wouldn't happen if it weren't for you. And I think our community would greatly miss these things. But it's not just the collective efforts, it's all of your individual efforts. The thing that only that person and God knows about. It's seeing someone in need 
It's seeing something that stirs your heart and you just jump in. You don't have a master plan. You're not being told to go do it. You just see it and you jump in and you do it. That's incredible. And that would be very much missed by our community. So we can make a difference by embodying grace and truth and by caring for those in need. And then this last one we've, we talk about often here, but by loving our neighbors. And you're gonna see how points two and three are a little bit different because in loving our neighbors, man, that includes everyone. We can absolutely make a difference by caring for the poor and those who need dire help but we can also make an incredible difference by loving everyone around us. And to this point, I've been talking about making a difference in our community singular, but the, but the truth of the matter is it's communities. It's plural. I mean, you are a part of our church far and wide, and it's awesome. You come from 60 miles this way, this way, and this way, covering several states. And we can all make a difference right where God has placed us. And our inspiration for this, of course, is the great commandment, Matthew chapter 22. They said, Jesus, what's the most important command? And he responded this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. What Jesus was basically saying is, look, there are two big buckets. There's the love God bucket and the love people bucket. If you take the Ten Commandments, the Torah, all the writings, all the prophets, they either go here or here. That's what it's all about. It's either about loving God who made us and who loves us, or it's about loving those who've been made in his image. That's what it all comes down to. And I think by and large, Christians and churches do a pretty good job of loving their own. And there's so many commandments in the scripture to love one another and all of those one another commands to love the church family. But the great commandment, man, it includes everyone. It includes everyone. It includes our actual neighbors. It includes our work neighbors and our teammates and our classmates, the people that God has placed into our life. This summer, I read a really simple book. It's called BLESS. It's an acronym, BLESS. Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World by two brothers who are pastors. And in their book, they just, they get real practical. Like, how do we do this? How do we love and bless our neighbors? And they say, just begin with prayer. Begin with prayer that God would stir your heart to do it. Begin with prayer that people would be receptive just begin with prayer. And then he says, listen. One of the greatest acts of love is listening as we get to know folks and we hear what kind of needs they have to listen. E's great. We love this one. Eat. Jesus was always eating with people. He was always breaking bread, sharing meals and serve. And then finally share our story. As we do these things, we'll have an opportunity to share what God has done for us. But what they're basically arguing for in their book is, man, Imagine if all of us did this. Imagine if thousands of us spread out across a huge geographic radius were praying for our neighbors and taking time to slow ourselves enough that we could listen to their stories, their struggles, their needs. 
that we would open that door of hospitality and say, hey, come on in. I want to share a meal. We would serve them. You know, we see their garbage can out on the curb still, and we just grab it and we pull it back. It's the little things. And then we do, we share our stories with folks because we're concerned about their spiritual well-being. But man, if thousands of prayers and thousands of listening ears and thousands of friendships over meals, the difference that would make. So our takeaway again today is this. We can make a difference in our community. Plain and simple, we can make a difference in our community. And it's just so important for you to know, especially if you're newer, that this is so close to our heart. Because the gravitational pull of most churches is to turn inward. That we take our resources and, and everything that we've been blessed with and just kind of take care of ourselves. But I think the natural end to that is for churches to struggle and eventually shrink and eventually close their doors. We wanna be a church that does love one another and does care for one another, but we always wanna be looking outward. We always wanna have eyes to see those in our community who God has called us to bless. So how might we apply this message to our lives? Well, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus, place your faith and trust in him. That is our heart for you to know the one who died in your place for your sins. I encourage you today, if you haven't recognized your sin and you haven't called upon Jesus as your savior, do that today. And then in terms of these three points, I would just say keep these in front of you this week by embodying grace and truth. How are you doing with this? Most of us tend to lean one way or towards the other. Maybe we're really gracious, but we're not maybe able to really speak the truth that people need to hear. Or maybe we know the truth, but we gotta figure out how to say it in a more gracious and loving way. How can we grow in that one? By caring for those in need, I would just invite you as we present opportunities throughout the year, if you're able, man, jump in. Whether it's a coat, whether it's contributing to the benevolence fund to help that single mom cover rent, whatever it is, as we present these opportunities, see that as a tremendous opportunity to make an impact, not just another thing we're doing, but a great opportunity to make an impact. And I would just say in your day-to-day -day life, as you see a need and you feel God stir your heart, take action. Take initiative. You got our permission. You got our blessing. If you see a need, meet that need. And then finally, by loving your neighbors well, I would just say this week, think of one neighbor you can bless. Maybe it is an actual neighbor. Maybe it's a classmate neighbor, workmate neighbor, teammate, whatever it is for you. Just one person who you can bless whether it's through prayer, conversation, a meal, serving them in some way. You know, in this message, we've looked extensively to the life of Jesus. He made a tremendous impact both to those who were drawing close to him, but he impacted greatly everyone around him. So it seems fitting that I would leave you with his words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. You know this one as well. But I think this is just as needed today as it was 2,000 years ago. I mean, you guys see it, you feel it. People are struggling, people are hurting. The world does seem to be getting darker. 
which means your opportunity and my opportunity to be the light is only going to increase. Jesus said this, he said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your word. We, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt how to have a relationship with you through Christ and spend all eternity with you. We're so grateful. But God, we're also thankful to know how you would have us to live our lives now. And we're grateful, God, for all these years that you have enabled us, God, to make a difference in our community and, and be your hands and feet. God, for those who are not a part of our church family, may it continue. May we grow in grace and truth. May we meet the needs of the poor and the vulnerable and may we love our neighbors as ourselves. And we believe, God, if we continue to do these things together that we will make a difference. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us all that we need to live out our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.